0: This is Dialogue with Drake and Daboo. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Daboo. And this is the
1: podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Our episode today is on a pretty heavy topic. What is it, Emma?
0: Today we're going to be talking about impaired driving culture on PEI. This was brought about by the opening of the legislature this past Thursday, November 12th, when the Honorable Minister Boyce Thompson brought forward a motion, motion number 91, that really spoke to this. And so it went something like this. Therefore, be it resolved that this legislative assembly encourage all Islanders to help change complacent attitudes and behaviors that are contributing to impaired driving. Therefore, be it further resolved that this legislative assembly work together to find ways to curb these behaviors through government and community programs and services. And so this was something that was talked about quite a bit in the evening sitting. And this brought about a lot of members, uh, or MLAs, as they're commonly known as, to speak about a lot of personal experiences uh, around drinking and driving culture on PEI. Many members from government, opposition, and the third party spoke to a lot of personal experiences uh, about family members, about friends. Uh, about community members, about drinking and driving here on PEI. Uh, and you know, this wasn't the first time this was brought up in the legislature on PEI. Um, unfortunately, this seems to be a, a common trend that takes place in our legislature. So, why is drinking and driving so important on PEI? And what would you know put forward a bill and a motion such as the ones that we're gonna be talking about tonight? So, PEI is no stranger when it comes to drinking and driving. PEI has a 50% higher than national rate uh, of drinking and driving. And so this has been uh, an extremely uh, fatal uh, practice on on PEI as we've seen that many young people are more likely to be involved in fatal crashes uh, pertaining to blood alcohol content levels, and three to four fatal crashes uh, a day has alcohol involved and 16% of serious injury collisions have involved a driver who has been drinking so uh, this is historically been a major issue on pei uh, and unfortunately continues to be today so pei has a
1: three-tiered system when it comes to impaired driving the first one applies to novice drivers or those aged under 19 where there's a zero tolerance policy Here, if you have any amount of alcohol in your system, you're subjected to an immediate 24-hour license suspension as well as a 90-day driving suspension. For those drivers that do not fall into the two former categories, drinking and driving with a blood alcohol concentration of 0.05 leads to an immediate 24-hour license suspension for a first offense and for a second offense within two years, a 30-day license suspension If folks decide to drive while the license is suspended, then in addition to the license suspensions, they may face fines as well as vehicle impoundments of 30, 60, or 90 days. For the third tier of the system, we look at folks who are driving with a blood alcohol concentration over 0.08. For a first offense, we're looking at one year license suspension, a minimum three days of imprisonment, $1,200 in fine, as well as having to attend a mandatory driver rehab course, as well as one-year enrollment in ignition interlock program. The driver rehabilitation course is a six-hour course that's only offered twice a year in Montague, Charlottetown, and Summerside. The ignition interlock program requires folks to pay to install an instrument within their cars that they have to breathe into before starting the car, which detects their blood alcohol content. A second offense looks at a three-year license suspension, minimum 30 days imprisonment, as well as enrollment in the ignition interlock program. The third or greater offense here looks at five-year license suspension, minimum 90 days of imprisonment, as well as, again, enrollment in the ignition interlock program. Now, if the IIP or ignition interlock program is violated, then at that point, people may face fines between $500 and $2,000. On Friday, um, an act to amend the Highway Traffic Act, or Bill 52, was introduced in the Legislative Assembly that looked at increasing these fines from $500 to $1,500 minimum. But you know, this is not the first measure that has occurred in PEI when we're looking at impaired driving and when we're looking at um, the consequences of this. There have been many amendments
0: that have happened throughout history. Thank you, Svetta, for the breakdown on what the current practices are. I know for myself, you know, even growing up on PEI and knowing the severity and the presence of drinking and driving, particularly myself coming from a rural community, it's never fully understood, you know, what those breakdowns are in the practices and how they have changed over the years. Uh, so we felt that that was super important to cover uh, in today's episode. But like we said, you know, unfortunately, this has been a reoccurring topic discussed in the Legislative Assembly. Uh, one example of this was in 2010. Uh, the PEI legislature supported a youth conference on PEI for training to impaired driving. Um, and again, this was with the uh, uh, MAD and SAD, which are the Mothers Against Drunk Driving and Students Against Drunk Driving. Again, in 2010, another uh, campaign that was put forward was www.peicampaign91.ca, Which identified 10 different signs uh, in which you could recognize that a car uh, would be um, suspicious of drinking and driving. So these are some historical approaches. Uh, And Sweater, what are some of the more recent ones that we've looked at?
1: In 2015, there was an amendment to the Highway Traffic Act, which increased license suspension for second and third offenders of impaired driving in conjunction with Mothers Against Drunk Driving Canada and following the same policies that were already in place in six other provinces. However, there's a number of measures that have been proposed over the years, but which research has shown to be incredibly ineffective when it comes to tackling the issue of drunk driving. For instance, one idea that has been toyed around with has been increased fines. And this is something that you know, we see again and again, and that will continue to come up. But this is not um, a viable solution because looking at it from a perspective of a low-income person who has been caught drunk driving, who has to pay a hefty fine, at that point, this really leads to a negative mental health space where you know the only way of coping with that is more drinking. Sure, that person cannot drive, but the issue of addiction itself has not been addressed. Another idea that has been toyed around with has been looking at increasing the cost of alcohol or increasing taxes on alcohol. Again, this has been proven not to work in other jurisdictions. A jurisdictional scan also shows that increased jail time does not work. Looking at PEI itself, for instance, where 90% of first offenders with a high blood alcohol concentration are jailed, and looking at the fact that PEI still has um, an impaired driving rate that's really much above the national average, we find, again, that jail time does not work as a preventative measure when it comes to impaired driving. The last idea that has you know, been proposed in different jurisdictions and which, frankly, is quite a bit of a stigmatizing idea is that of having a different license plate for folks who have been called drunk driving now this can lead to a lot of marginalization socially and a lot of people being isolated even further from society by being labeled as a drunk driver i remember when emma and i were discussing this earlier today we kind of threw around the idea that this was in many ways similar to a star of david in that it uh, identified folks publicly and subjected them to the potential of public shaming now that we've looked at what doesn't work, however, it's important to also address what does work. Um, a jurisdiction that has made many uh, large strides when it comes to prever- to preventing drunk driving has been Saskatchewan, where impaired driving is the responsibility of a senior cabinet member. Here, um, we find that a number of measures have been taken, including uh, you know, the preparation of ads that have an emotional uh, component, uh, and as well as a number of other things we typically find, you know, in government, this is not specific to drunk driving itself, but action happens a lot better and a lot quicker when it's under the portfolio of a specific person and drunk driving or impaired driving is no different in this scenario. And this has worked in Saskatchewan where the number of annual deaths from impaired driving fell to 21 from 39 to 65 per year. But what other measures do you think are important to look at, Emma?
0: Folks who might be listening to this right now might be thinking, you know, how does this fit into the conversation of mental health and addiction? And that was something that Sweta and I both thought of immediately as well. Oftentimes when we think of impaired driving, these are one-off situations. However, historically for PEI, this has not been the case. If we look at 2006, 77% of impaired driving offenders were either second, third, or more uh, impaired convictions. And so we saw that the majority of those have been people who had who had done this before. Likewise, in 2007, 54% of second and third or more time offenders. 2015, again, 49%. And in 2019, 50%. So we see over time, it continues to be half or more of people who have, um, who have uh, been impaired and who have drove before. And of course, these are only the numbers that have been Um, identified and found by RCMP or municipal police. Of course, we know there are other, um, you know, uh, situations of impaired driving that are not uh, recognized as as perhaps they just simply haven't been um, either called in or or found by the police. So as we see here, these are folks who are um, perhaps more and more often drinking and driving. But this most certainly ties into the mental health and addictions piece Uh, As we saw, and I know this is something we've heard many, many times before, uh, COVID has exacerbated the situation of mental health and addictions on PEI. Um, There were many different changes. For example, and I know we all saw this article, Unit 9 had been changed uh, from accommodating uh, traditionally uh, psychiatric patients to accommodate to the COVID patients. And so what then happened was this was housing uh, dementia patients and then there was a transition period uh, which we're experiencing uh, more recently uh, with that so as we know there were a lack of psychiatric beds 17 out of those 20 beds were used by patients with dementia which has now dropped to 8 as of November but again this is noted due to the rise in addictions substance abuse and psychiatric illness again with a number of different uh, provincial addictions treatment programs We see that some of these locations uh, require that it is a a chem-free zone. So folks who are looking to stay there or participate in some of the programs, um, it's required to be chem-free. So again, this is a question of accessibility for many folks who are experiencing addictions uh, such as uh, alcohol addiction. So we see with different programs that exist, there are accessibility challenges, and as well with the supports in place, COVID has placed an additional pressure onto these, which, of course, is not helping uh, when it comes to addressing the root causes of drinking and driving. But there are other ideas as well that we need to look at that, you know, turning on a positive note is looking at public transportation Uh, There was an article that was put out recently that was pertaining to a rideshare program that was to be launched in PEI in 2020. It's known as, under the Red Ride Company, CARI. And so this has been something that the municipal government as well as provincial government have been supporting to put forward. And the co-owners have even stated that one of the reasons why they want to put this service forward on PEI is to decrease the amount of drinking and driving. However, When we look at this program, similar to other forms of transportation, particularly public forms of transportation, it's not addressing key areas in which would be experiencing impaired driving. So when it comes to carry, it's going to be targeting existing uh, municipal areas such as Three Rivers and Summerside. But again, what happens when someone is drinking and driving and they need to get from one rural community to another? And it's said even in this article that uh, in these rural areas, um, quote, we know that those areas aren't going to be able to sustain the same level. So there might be one or two in a community that are online during key times during the week, for example. So we see from a business perspective, these types of services such as carry are not going to be able to fill those gaps of folks who are going to be living in rural communities that require a drive uh, that may not have access one because Uh, perhaps not a key time in which this business has identified, or perhaps the drivers are already busy and there's an hour and a half wait for a drive home. Well, if someone has been drinking and driving and they live 15 minutes down the road, are they gonna wait an hour and a half for a ride home or are they going to simply drive home at a convenience? And so this is a big question we have to put forward, particularly in rural areas who historically have experienced higher rates of impaired driving is How can we ensure not only from a service perspective, but from a public policy perspective, we can ensure that there is reliable public transportation in these communities to ensure that folks have a reliable form of transportation that they could count on and that they don't have to choose to drink and drive? Absolutely. And, you know, something else to keep in mind is that all of the measures that are being
1: proposed or that have happened in the past either take place much before drunk driving occurs or are punitive Um, you know, to the act of drunk driving, be that, you know, calling the cops on someone who who you suspect might be drunk driving, or, you know, having an education campaign much before. But there is not a lot of rehabilitation and education that occurs after someone is called drunk driving. Of course, that's aside from the six-hour driver rehabilitation program, but we have to admit that six hours isn't a huge time investment when it comes to making meaningful lifestyle changes. So other jurisdictions have included driving uh, while impaired or driving under the influence courts which kind of have a more rehabilitative approach to drunk driving or impaired driving here folks who are caught while committing this offense have to go through rehabilitation be that through Alcoholics Anonymous be that through other 12-step programs, be it through, uh, you know, being um, admitted at a facility until they're shown to have overcome this addiction that led led to them drunk driving in the first place. And we find that, you know, there's no better way of putting it. You have to annoy people enough that they don't want to go through this again and to really address the core issues that are at the root of drunk driving. Now, some of the concerns, and you know, this might not be as much of a big concern in, you know, the scope of this conversation is a lot of folks often think I didn't mean to drive uh, and drink, but now I'm drunk. So what do I do with my car. And obviously this is a little bit more of a bigger concern now that the winter season is here and we find that, you know, overnight parking is not allowed in many areas. Then similar to the ride sharing services, which of course are not perfect. There are also a lot of designated driver services that are available in other jurisdictions whereby you can call someone to drive your car and you back to your place where you have reliable parking and you don't have to worry about getting towed because at the end of the day, Someone who, as Emma previously mentioned, has to wait an hour and a half um, you know, to drive home for a 15 minute drive, not only has to resist that temptation, but also are not aware of their decreased judgment in the first place where sober, they would never choose to you know, drink drive, but drunk, they're not able to make that same decision um, in a very you know, level-headed manner.
0: All in all, you know, sweata and I recognize that this is not going to be the last time in which we speak to impaired driving on Prince Edward Island in this podcast from a public policy perspective. One, because we know this is an issue that historically been um, impacting Prince Edward Island, but also because to date, many of the policy solutions that have been put forward have been reactive. And so many of these campaigns or... Um, perhaps, uh, you know, um, encouragements to perhaps call if you see a drunk driver or learn about the impacts of drunk driving um, are again, they're reactive and they're not addressing the root problem, which is, of course, mental health and addictions. And so, what we hope we provided here today is a perspective on the proactive recognition of these uh, root causes. And of course, we will say in full disclosure. This is something that each of the parties in the Legislative Assembly has recognized in their statements towards each this bill and this motion is that there are other contributing factors. You know, This is one solution of many, and I think we appreciate that each of the different parties has recognized that, and it's very positive to see uh, in our Legislative Assembly. But again, moving forward, there are other solutions to this issue. Uh, we have to look at the root cause, mental health and addictions, and something, you know, myself particularly coming from a rural area who has seen this before is looking at how can we address this in a proactive approach. One of those practices is with the ride-sharing program with Carrie, for example, the one that's going to be launched this year. That's one solution. Another one is looking at public transportation in rural areas. We need to recognize, you know, what is convenient for folks and what is a you know, simple solution that they could take advantage of. This is going to be huge. And, and again, another thing that we learned about was the ride sharing services pertaining to designated drivers. This was another piece that ties into all these different types of solutions. I think moving forward, we have to be looking at a variety of different solutions. And again, focusing that on a proactive approach. And, you know, just another disclaimer to add to
1: Emma's previous disclaimer about the fact that there's already support across the floor from this is the fact that in no way, shape, or form are either of us absolute experts when it comes to impaired driving. What we are hoping to do here, however, is provide a bit of a holistic approach that looks at before, during, and after impaired driving and looking at how to prevent this
0: and how to decrease the numbers. And now we'll move <laughs> on to our next segment, the MRM which admittedly I have not prepared for as I was focusing mo- mostly on impaired driving statistics, but did we want to do, each of us doing one music, restaurant, and movie? Sure. I'm getting nods from sweata. Okay, the first piece of music I would like to share is Lady Gaga's The Fame Monster, um, I recently had the opportunity to listen to this album with superlative speakers. It's incredible. It's a timeless album. Lady Gaga is incredible. Uh, this is great. So I'll recommend that. When it comes to a restaurant, I don't know if I've recommended this before, but I'll say it just because I was recently there. I'd like to recommend Craft Beer Corner. I was recently <laughs> there. Sweater was also recently <laughs> there. Um, They have a lot of wonderful uh, different types of beers, of course, from upstreet, but I will say they have the best Caesar in Charlottetown. It's delicious. It's made with beet juice. It's great. Definitely check it out. And as for the movie, I think I'll recommend the Chicago 7. I was recently telling my dad about this film. Um, Folks, it's on Netflix. Please check it out. Uh, It's pertaining to a true story of a group of seven folks who were uh, convicted of crimes they did not convict uh, following the, and during rather, the Vietnam War and and how they were against that and um, conscription in the United States. Fascinating film, definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I'd like to give my support to The
1: Trial of the Chicago Seven as well, because this was an incredibly moving movie with some really great Oscar worthy performances but it's not the movie I'm reviewing today. The one I'm talking about is my favorite Star Wars movie, which might be controversial, is actually Rogue One. Uh, That's big, and I see Emma shaking her head and laughing at me here, but, you know, we know that this movie happens before A New Hope, and yet you keep hoping that, you know, it's gonna end differently and that it's gonna have a happy ending somehow, which of course it does not have much to my grief, but, Rogue One was truly a really great standalone movie with a really nice plot and really likable characters. Um, when it comes to restaurants in town, I'd like to talk about Taste of India, which is an Indian restaurant downtown. It has, objectively speaking, or, you know, subjectively speaking, in my opinion, the best Indian food in town. And it's my go to whenever I'm craving some curry. So, Taste of India is my choice. When it comes to the music, I'd like to recommend the album, Merry Christmas by Mariah Carey, <laughs> <laughs> which gave us the classic, of course, all I want for Christmas in you the royalties of which will probably help Mariah have enough to pay the bills for the rest of her life. And that's it for our MRM
0: segment. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Our music as always is from the talented Mr. Shane Pendergast. You can find out all of his upcoming shows at www.shamependergast.com. But as a heads up, he's got a show coming up this month. Sweater, tell us all about it. So it's on November 19th
1: at the Mans from 7 to 9 p.m. And tickets are for $25 each.
0: And another show he's got coming up at the beautiful Trailside Music Hall is on December 21st and tickets are $25. Definitely recommend uh, showing up to his shows there he's wonderful both the venues are gorgeous it's an experience highly recommend thank you so much for listening this has been dialogue